all the difference in the world. <clears throat> Play is open to Psalm 73. Somebody might say, wait a minute, we're supposed to be doing Psalm 70 today. We are. After lunch. Psalm 73, <clears throat> the 23rd and 24th verses. When we talk about the doctrines of grace, we got the T, we got the E, we got the L, we got the I. What does the P stand for? Sir? Some people do. I be one of them. The perseverance and preservation of the saints. I have preached here before on the preservation of the saints. And everybody likes to hear about that. They'll say, that's once saved, always saved. Yep, yep, yep. If I say the prayer, if I check off the box, if I follow along, if I walk the aisle or whatever, that's saved me and now I am saved no matter what. End of story. No matter how I live, no matter how I talk, no matter how I think or feel, I'm saved. Glory, hallelujah. And we live in a world of people who think because of a few seconds in a prayer or caught up in a rapture moment, they suppose makes no difference about my life, my testimony. <clears throat> the fact of the matter is, the Bible teaches we do persevere because we are preserved. Let's look at the <clears throat> 73rd Psalm, verses 23 and 24. <coughs> I didn't know the ladies were going to sing about the fact that the Lord is the one who holds our hand. But it just so happens that goes along with what this verse says. Well, I'll tell you what. Sometimes you get the nail on the head and sometimes you get the... And this time the ladies picked the song and it hit the nail on the head. I think the Lord's telling us something. I used to say the Lord is trying to tell us something. The Lord doesn't try to do anything, does He? <clears throat> he speaks and sometimes we listen. Sometimes we don't. <clears throat> 23 and 24. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me. By my right hand, thou shalt guide me with thy counsel. Are you guided by the counsel of God? Or do you just do what you feel like you ought to do? You listen to other people. You listen to the, the voices around you. I ought to be guided by the counsel of the Lord. And afterward, receive me to glory. 
I was in a discussion a couple of years ago with a fellow who said, oh, you're a, you're a Baptist, aren't you? Yes, sir. I'll bet you believe once saved, always saved. Yep, I sure do. That's not all I believe, but I do believe that. And he said, well, let me tell you what. I believe what Jesus said. He that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. <laughs> got you there. See, some people think they've got some turf in the Bible. And you can't get on their turf. Because their doctrine is taught in that particular verse. Well, I'm here to tell you we are to know and to practice all the counsel of God. Everything God said is for us. Not everything God said is to us. God never told me to build an ark. But God told me that He told Noah to build an ark. And there's a lesson in that for me. There's a lesson in everything in God's Word if we could only discern, if we could only compare Scripture with Scripture and find it out. And so when this fellow said, yeah, that verse, uh, he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. Sometimes you'll talk with people, is so-and-so saved? Well, right now they are, but they might lose it. Hmm. Well, I told that fellow, actually, I believe what that verse says, and I rejoice in it, but probably not for the same reason you do. Because man's pride likes to get in there. Well, if I hold out faithful, I'll keep myself safe. The Lord got me started, but, uh, you know, <laughs> it's up to me to finish the job. If I don't end right, well, all that other stuff comes to naught. And so, I want to tell you that Yes, it does speak of the perseverance as well as the preservation of the saints. Now, you probably are pretty familiar with verses that talk about the preservation of the saints. For example, in Jude, the next to the last book in your Bible, just add one chapter. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, he opens with, and the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> if you're a child of God this morning, there are some things you can lose. There are some privileges you may not enjoy. There might be some positions for which you will fall away from. But if you're preserved in Christ Jesus, this is the one, it, it's later in the book of Jude, where it says, the 24th verse, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. I asked somebody once, you really think you could lose your salvation? You know, in 2 Peter 3, it says, God is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish. God is not willing that any of His people lose their salvation. 
And Jude 24 tells us he is able to keep us from falling. If God is not willing that it happen, and God is able to keep it from happening, how's it going to happen? In a nutshell, there's the preservation of the saints. And we were looking at Psalm 73. Just take those two numbers and do the old switcheroo. Go to Psalm 37. And what saith the Scripture? I want you to know that our God has preserved forever. I used to watch my dad's mother, my paternal grandmother, make preserves. And she put it in a jar and then she put some wax on the top. I think she used the old word for it and called it paraffin. Just, that's why we call them preserves. Because they're kept. They be good. Psalm 37, verse 28 says, For the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. God forbid we forsake him, but he doesn't forsake us. They are preserved forever. But the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. And the chorus of the song we sang is 2 Timothy 1.12. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Did you know you were singing the Bible in that song? What a unique thought. Singing the scriptures. I think we read something about that in Brother Kenny's reminder from Colossians. Speaking of songs and hymns and spiritual songs. And of course, in the 17th of John, Jesus praying to his Father said, I have kept them and none is lost save the son of perdition. And of course he's talking about Mr. Judas Iscariot who was identified as a devil from earlier on. But God's promise is that he will keep us. I'm afraid some people, they think it's all about me. I made the decision and I got to keep it. I got to make sure it lasts. I point you to Isaiah chapter 54, verses 9 and 10. This is as the waters of Noah unto me, for as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee, for the mountains shall depart. Now that has, has happened in my experience, yet... And the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. See, it's not that we deserve it, but the Lord has been pleased to show us mercy. That's what we mean, folks. You want to stand before God, give me what I deserve. You don't want to pray that prayer. You don't want to put yourself in that position. You're just cruising for bruising, if you will. In the 89th Psalm, in verse 29, which we'll at least think about again, it says, His seed also will I make to endure forever. The Lord 
causes that to happen. And my covenant shall stand fast with him. His seed also let me... Uh, I read that 29. Okay. If his children forsake my law, shame on them. Shame on us if we do that. If we say, I don't want to hear it. I'm going to do my thing. If his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, is that possible? Lord said so. Then will I visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Seems to me the New Testament says something about the Lord chastising his people. In fact, if you've never been chastised by the Lord, and you've been a Christian any amount of time, maybe, maybe you're not. Dad never went down the street and spread Dave Salas or Dick Agee or anybody else. It was my age. But if I messed up, he'd sure give a to me. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. God has an investment in his precious people. Precious. Just as the sun is precious, he has a precious people purchased by the precious blood of Christ. He did not cause his son's blood to be expended only to have some man or the devil or all the demons of hell to forfeit that. No. I don't believe you're reading what the scriptures have to say. None are going to stand before God or between us or separate us from God. We're reminded what it says in Romans 8. Oh, we love to read 8.28. But just keep reading. It just gets better. I am persuaded. There is nothing. Mr. Gilpin in Kentucky used to say, I'm convinced that there's no power external, internal, or infernal that can separate you from the love of God. I, I like the way he put that. In... Uh, Going back to Isaiah this time, to, uh, well, actually the same chapter, chapter 54. Let's see something in verse 17. Because sometimes we get to thinking, oh, I have a righteousness like, like it's me. It derives from me. I am the cause. I am the reason why God loves me, why God has rewarded me. I'm pretty special, you know. Look at it. Look at it. Look as I said in the 54th, this time the last verse, verse 17. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And a lot of people quote that part. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And that's us, by the way. And their righteousness is of me. Do you have a righteousness? Well, I do. Do you? Amen. You have a righteousness. Where did it come from? Well, you see, my heart is so clean and so pure. And my mind is so in tune with the Lord. Wrong answer. He says... 
this is the righteous, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me. It comes from God. That's humbling, isn't it? When we realize that any good that I do, it's because of the work of the Spirit quickening me and the example of Jesus and the words of the apostles and, of course, the Lord Himself. Their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Do you see it? Can you appreciate that? And not only that, God has done a great work, and just like the paraffin would seal up the wax, the Lord has sealed us, but He hasn't used wax. He hasn't used concrete. He used something more impervious than any of that. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Just as much God as God the Father, just as much as God the Holy Spirit, the Son is God the Holy Spirit. And so we read in verses 13 and 14 of Ephesians 1, in whom also we trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed you were sealed, not with a stamp, not with some sticky tape, but sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. God has given His Word. He has put His seal upon us. And that, of course, accomplished by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now that's one summary, if you will, of the fact of preservation. We are preserved. But I want you to know that some people think, that's it. <laughs> I'm headed for heaven no matter what I say, where I go, who I'm with, what I'm occupied with. Hey, I got it made in the shade. I'm going to make it. Yeah. Isn't that something? I, I did this. I did that. I have accomplished this, and it's not going away. Well, the Bible does teach the preservation of the saints. But I believe it also teaches the perseverance of the saints. And yet even, even some grace people. I was in a conference a few years ago and I was shocked with a brother that I thought would have known better. Had somebody come up to you know, I don't met somebody who talked about perseverance. Like you gotta hold out faithfully and, and, and you gotta live a certain way and think a certain way and be a certain way. And and my friend said, yeah, it just sounds so legalistic, doesn't it? Is it legalism to teach that God has standards that we are to follow? We should love those things. We should crave those things. We live for those things. Or not. Mm. I bumped in an awful lot. We used to have a neighbor when we lived in a different county in this state, whose daughter said, you know, when he was eight years old, he walked the aisle, and uh, daddy never goes to church, never heard him pray, make any reference to the Lord, but he's confident he's going to heaven. There's no fruit 
did say, by their fruit, ye shall know them. And I had a little boy named Al when I was teaching sixth grade. And he really loved a certain commercial. And we'd be doing our math, and he goes, fruity, fruity. Al, is that you? Yeah, it's kind of like that. And I said, well, you know, as Christians, we're supposed to be fruity, fruity. What do you mean? There should be something that shows. I know some people, they might as well be singing, I'm so happy, I'm a Christian, I can spit. That's not the way it ought to be. We rejoice in Christ Jesus. That makes it oh, that's right, that's in the Bible too. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. If you can't rejoice in the Lord, I feel sorry for you. If you're a grumpy grump, if you're a curmudgeon for Christ, that, that, that's inconsistent with the New Testament. You see, sometimes people put all the emphasis on what they have done. I know I'm a Christian because... Look out. Not too long ago we looked at Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that <coughs> seems right to a man. And there are an awful lot of people that that's their religion. Whatever seems right to me. You show them a verse in the scripture. Well, uh, that might be in the Bible. That's not what I believe. Well, that's not a problem for God. It's a problem for the person that says, I don't care what the Bible I've had people dare to say, I don't care what the Bible says. Is that an evidence of the new birth? I don't think so. I have a hard time being comfy with that. Say, well, that's my brother. But there are an awful lot of people that contrive the whole system and they say, I'll tell you, you're not a Christian if you do this. You are a Christian if you do that. And they've got their rules and their regulations. An awful lot of people, they buy into moralism. That is, I have my code of what is right. And as long as I do that thing, I'm okay. A man close to me told me when I was young, I believe if I do the best I can and don't kill a man, I'll go to heaven when I die. And as far as I know, that was his belief. The way he died. There's a way that seems right to a man. But the end is death. It's a dead end. It's a major problem. It's not a question of continuing what would be done, but we're to exercise those things. Let me show you something in Philippians chapter 2. If you have any muscles, would you raise your hand? Well, Obviously, if you don't have muscles, you couldn't raise your hand, could you? Because you need muscles to do this. You need muscles to smile. You need muscles to stand. And we all stood up to sing this morning. So we got muscles, or muscles, whatever you want to call And what do you do with your muscles? You can't get you some more muscles. But you can develop them. You can exercise them. And that's what the scriptures say. You can't work up enough faith. You can't work up enough spiritual. 
but you can exercise what God is pleased to give you. And that's what Paul's talking about when he wrote to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, they were obedient Christians. The Lord said, why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? I'm a Christian. Well, the Lord said, I don't do that, but I'm still a Christian. How do you know? Some preacher, some Sunday school teacher, some Christian worker told me. And, and I believe them because that's what I want to believe. But what say the scripture? Don't confuse me with the Bible. Like a certain lady we knew in another place. I said, I can show you that in your Bible. He touched my Bible. Well, it's in there, lady, whether you believe it or not. Not as in my presence only, Paul says, but now much more in my absence. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's a lot of folks have put a different spin on it. They think, I'll work it out. Let's see. So I'll make my list, and I'll, and I'll check off the boxes, and that, that's how I work it out. They think it means work out like work out an algebra problem. Let's see, solve for x. Well, let's see, got to add here and multiply here, and, and and they think, but that's not what it means. This word for work out is what you do in the gym. You're pumping iron. You're running on the track. You've got the muscles. You didn't have the muscles. You couldn't press the weights. Now, good you? But maybe you can only do you know a few pounds, but. You build it up and build it up and build it up. You take what God has given and you exercise it. You don't hear it as much anymore, but everyone's going to come across something. I mean, I am exercised about that. It's out there. We have an opportunity. You take advantage of the opportunity. And so it tells us, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And just in case somebody says, it's all up to me. i got to work it out. Well, God gets the last word, doesn't he? You don't have to read much further. Just read the next verse. For it is God which worketh in you both the will and to do of His good pleasure. That's a sermon in itself. I won't preach it this morning, but I hope you meditate on that. That's a lot there. We're not talking about your own personal self-development plan. You know, I can leave God out of it, so to speak. Solomon, in his book of Ecclesiastes, says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Because without God as the major character, the major player, some would say, or actor in the great work of redemption, you don't have anything. You just got a bunch of fluff. You got a bunch of nothing. But it is important that we be exercised. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, we had a preacher, I don't think he ever made it up this way. His name was Leonard Buttram. And Brother Leonard Buttram, he, he came down to Hayward once, and he preached uh, from this text. First uh, Timothy chapter six, <coughs> verse twelve. 
Fight the good fight of faith. All right. Yeah. I'm into that. Lay hold on eternal life. And some people say, I know I'm saved because I laid hold on eternal life. I'm hanging on for dear life. You know what? That's not a bad thing. But don't take a whole lot of pride in how tightly you're hanging on. And uh, it comes up again in verse 19. That they may lay hold on eternal life. I like what Brother Buttram pointed out so many years ago. If you were out in the sea about to drown and a helicopter lowers a loop, a preserver, and they say, grab that rope and don't let go. I'll tell you what, if I was about to drown, I would hang on with every ounce of strength I have. But it's not my hanging on to the rope that's going to save me. It's the rope and the pulley going to yank me out of the water and bring me to safety. Does that mean I'm going to say, hey, made it again. See what? No. Hang on. Lay hold on eternal life. Know that the promises are there. And then I just there to take up space. God has spoken and it's more sure than, than anything. If you get a letter in the mail and say, you have one publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes and you're going to get a gazillion dollars a month for the rest of your, your life. They could go broke. They could be lying. I have had people call me on the phone and say, you just got this. You got this. You probably got that too. I'm still waiting on the check. Maybe you are too. I don't know. But the point is, we hang on. We lay hold of eternal life because the Lord is the one who's in the business of saving. The emphasis is God's working within us. And we do hang on. We do last to the end. We shall continue to the end. Continue to be saved to the end. That comes up so many times in the New Testament. We already looked at that 89th Psalm, the 29th verse, to endure forever. Another passage that a lot of Christians have put to memory and I can't think of a better thing to memorize in Scripture. Can you? Philippians 1 6. Being confident. You know, some people are chicken about some stuff. Who are we talking about? Chicken this morning. Talking about somebody. A little bit chicken there. You might be chicken about this and chicken about that, but there's nothing to be chicken about here. Being confident. You can rejoice in Christ Jesus, putting no confidence in the flesh. But being confident is very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you. And that's not talking about your papa. That's not talking about some policeman. That's not talking about some politician. That's talking about the Lord. He has started a work in you if you're a child of God. He doesn't start and say, eh, I'm going to do something else. No. He continues to work in us. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. Yeah, how long? Till the day of Jesus Christ. 
He's going to see you through to the end. That's something to be rejoicing in. You will persevere because the Lord is working in and through you. It tells us we're not going to depart from Him. When Jesus was explaining, uh, again, along the lines of what we would call sovereign grace. In John chapter 10, He says something in verse 27 that I hope blesses your heart. I know it does mine. He said, My sheep hear my voice. You know, if they're listening, they just might hear me once in a while. And on a good day, they just might even do what I tell them to do. No, that's some other man's version. That's not what God said. My sheep hear my voice. So far, so good. And I know them. That word there, know, does not mean, oh yeah, oh yeah, I recognize that word. I, uh, I, I know that word. Or I know that fact. I know that individual. No. Not in the sense of having a knowledge, but he has a love, a tender love, a love for which he sent his son to die for us. He sent his spirit to come and to give us life and breath and all things, not only in the material, but in the spiritual. Our eyes were open and we saw Christ. It's not the church that saves. It's not the preacher that saves. It's not the ordinances or anything else that saves. It's Christ and Christ alone. If your hope is in anyone, or ones, or anything or things other than Christ, or in addition to Christ, um, that's bogus. That's not the way it ought to be. My sheep hear my voice. That's me. I'm one of the Lord's sheep. And I know him. That's me. He knows me. And they follow me. Don't say they think about following me. Don't say they might follow me. It's a, it's a no doubt about it. Understand. We must understand. That. In Matthew 24, 24, it says, If it were possible, these things would deceive the very elect. Yeah, elections all through the Bible. Some people always see it every once in a while. But it's not possible for God's precious people to be deceived on this. How do I know? Because we've got God's word for it. God has gone on record to make that clear. Now, some we were, we were talking about spiritual enemies this morning in Sunday school. And we talked about the world. Does the world press in upon us? Absolutely. Are we to not think like the world would have us to? Absolutely. By the renewing of your mind, that you may have know that the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't allow this world to squeeze you into its, its mold. Tell you what you want and what your priorities ought to be. First John 4 4 says, Ye are God's little children and have overcome them. Hmm. How can that be? How can I be said 
to be an overcomer over the world. Well, you are, because somebody else is fighting your battle for you. And that's the Lord. Just read the rest of that verse. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Oh, the devil! Oh, the pressures of this world! Oh, the temptations! What will I do? It's not you. It's the Lord has already. He's already accomplished that great feat. And so, we have that. Now, uh, we looked at Psalm 73, verses 23-24. Again, switch those numbers around. Go to Psalm 37. Now, we already looked at another passage. But, verses 23 and 24. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. In other words, God tells you how to walk. God tells you how to talk. God tells you how to think. Well, listen. We don't obey. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delighteth in his way. I think if we replace the pronoun, it would be the man delights in the Lord's way. Do you delight in the way of the Lord? Do you go, oh man, I gotta read my Bible. Oh man, I gotta go to church. Oh man, I, I gotta live a certain way. I, why can't God just leave me alone? You don't want that. You don't want God to leave you alone. That's what happens with the illegitimates. The Lord chastises. Those are his. Hmm. It goes on to say of the good man, though he fall, you look at David. David had a big problem when he looked where he shouldn't have looked and then did what he shouldn't have done and then said what he shouldn't have said. David messed up big time. Did he lose his salvation? So was, oh yeah, I had to get re-saved or something like that. You read your Bible. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. The Lord still has you by the hand. You watch somebody when they're walking little ways around. And sometimes they're, they kind of trip over their own feet. You'll see that time in every generation. You get little ones, itty bitty ones. I read something that said, the next time you feel humble having to talk to your kid about how to work on a computer... Just remember, you're the one that taught them how to use a spoon. So we, we need to be humbled a little bit. Maybe a lot. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. Why? Because you're so smart, you're so strong, you're so spiritual. No, because what the Lord's doing. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. So like I said, we persevere, we endure, because the Lord has preserved us. But some people get kind of edgy about that. When I was a teenager, I was working with a group, and they said, now we need to talk to people about Jesus, and we ought to talk to people about Jesus. And I think it's a little itty ones. And I was told, now, now that you've gotten them saved, you got to give them assurance. I'm thinking, how do I give them assurance? We just tell them, the Bible says this, and I did that, so therefore, I am saved. 
And uh, that's one reason why we call it easy believism. The idea that, oh, it's just the easiest thing. Just, it takes just a few moments. And, you know, now, now you're saved. Some people say, well, we put you in the water. Dunk, dunk. Okay, now, now you've been dunked. And now you're saved. Or now you joined the church. Or now you, you spoke in a foreign language. Or now you did this. You go up in the Appalachian Mountains. Well, you picked up snakes. You drank poison. You're saved now. The list goes on and on and on. Where does it stop? In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, back in uh, 2011, Paul, Marsha, and I went to, where was it in Mississippi? Grenada? Yes, okay. We went to Grenada, and where Brother Bill Lee is still the pastor. He's having a Bible conference. And Lawrence Justice, I think he's probably been here a time or two. I know he and Brother Heath were close. Brother Lawrence Justice got up and he read his text. And it was this verse, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. And some people, probably more on the inside than the outside, they squirmed. They weren't too crazy about this because, oh, I believe once saved, always saved. But, uh, you know, folks, there's a mile of ditch on the, both sides of every road. And sometimes people get off in a ditch. We knew some folks up in Oregon, the whole church, they get re-saved every six, seven, eight weeks. Even the preacher. Well, you know, I, I had a bad thought, so that tells me I'm probably not saved, so I need to get re-saved. You're always getting re-saved, they said. But I'm afraid some people never take the time to think about, am I really a child of God? Now somebody, oh, don't do that. That's legalistic. Don't do that. You're doubting the Lord. Well, if it's doubting the Lord, why did Paul tell the Corinthian church to do it in the last chapter of the last inspired letter he wrote him, he said, examine yourself. Now it's real easy. Look, look at Jojo. I don't think he's a Christian. because He does this stuff and he does do that stuff. I don't think Jojo. And look at Sally Sue. I don't think she's a Christian. She doesn't say. She doesn't do. And it's real easy to point the finger at somebody else. But Paul doesn't say, look at your neighbor. Look at your kinfolk. Look at your co-worker. He says, examine yourself. Okay, what am I supposed to check out? Whether you be in the faith. I'm in the church. Are you in the faith? Judas was in the church. Hmm. Well, I got this act. Well, I go to Sunday school. I even got a gold star going well, every Sunday of the year. I, I did this and I did that. And I got so much to brag on. Watch out for the theology that says brag on yourself a lot and not so much on Jesus. Examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Look at the one in the mirror. Ask yourself, if I didn't know this person any better, would I have a clue that this person was truly a child of God? Or are they just going through the motions? They're trying to convince somebody else or maybe even convince themselves. Some people say, I'm not going to do that. Some people even say, that, that, that's legalism. Really? 
Well, why did Paul turn legalist in this last chapter? Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Oh, it's, it's real easy. I'm going to prove this guy. I'm going to check this guy out. I'm going to see if they're sound of the faith to do this. Before you look at somebody else, before you, you focus too much on that speck of sawdust in somebody else's eye, what are you doing about that telephone pole you got here? Prove your own selves. Is that really important? Well, why did Paul ask this question? Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates? You're just going through the motions. You might have convinced yourself that you're okay with the Lord. My study of Scripture is that the closer we get to the Lord, the more we see our own sin. And that's why I had it on my mind. We thought for a moment in Isaiah how he said, Lord, I am a man of unclean lips. You get in the light of the glory, the brilliance of the Holy God, and you see the spots. You see the flaws. You have to admit, I'm not thinking what I ought to. I'm not feeling as I ought to. I certainly don't speak, and I certainly don't behave as I ought to. Real easy to critique somebody else. You this, you that. Look at yourselves. That's of critical importance. You see, when the Lord deals with us in His righteous way, it reminds us of how much we need the Lord. I love what it says in Matthew one twenty one. He shall save his people from their sins. You weren't saved just so you get to go to heaven. You weren't saved just so you get a bunch of goodies. You were saved from the penalty of your sin. That took quite a bit, you know. It didn't take the blood of some bird or some bat or some butterfly or whatever. It was the only begotten Son of God. We talk about His blood. And, uh, Brother Dave, you know how many times you allude to things in your lesson that uh, didn't happen to tie in with the message. I close with something Jesus said to Simon Peter. Some call him the first pope. Some speak of him as the number one. Some people suppose that he'll be, even in the judgment, judging us, Luke 22, 31 and 32. We should be humbled when we realize that even the righteous folk in Scripture, their limitations came out, whether they admitted it all the time or not. Because some people thought they were pretty good stuff, pretty special stuff. The Lord talking to Peter calls him by the first name he was known by, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, turn you up and down and all around, every which way. The devil is just going to toy with you like a cat with a bounce. He's going to bat you around. He's going to get you so confused that some of my students are confused. You won't know which way's up. Now, when you figure that out, Peter, no, he didn't put it that way. 
Or when somebody else comes along and taps you on the shoulder. No. Jesus speaking said, here's what makes all the difference in the world. But I have prayed for thee. Are you thankful for the prayers of Jesus Christ? I am. I hope you are too. What was Jesus praying for? Father, help him have a nice day. No. A lot more serious than that. I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Has your faith ever failed? Preacher, can I admit that? Not have people think I'm lost? Well, I've had my faith get mighty thin. Failed on occasion. But the Lord holds me by his hand. I have prayed for you that thy faith fail not. You're going to get through this, Peter. Not because you're so smart, you're so strong, you're so spiritual, but because I have prayed for you. Well, what comes after that? This is where I hope you are now. When you are converted, strengthen the brethren. It's not that Peter was being told by Jesus, you're not even saved. No. But we need to be converted in our mind. The old way of thinking, we need to have it transformed. We need a renewed mind, a renewed heart. If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. You need to think like it. You need to feel like it. You need to walk and talk like it. And when you are, help folks. Because not everybody can appreciate some of these things. Not everybody's in a position to say amen, glory, hallelujah. Some people would say amen to this message. Some would say, oh me. I hope you're moved to say amen. We do persevere because we are preserved. Can we have a song?